This is Matt, and this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, we're continuing our series of guests. Joining me today is Chris Revel from the Let's Chat podcast. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, we were on your show. Yeah, yeah Tony fun. and I went on to your show. Yeah, we had so much fun because um, your show is, as it says in the title, it's really just hanging out and and letting the conversation go where it wants to go. Uh, and that's pretty fun to do because oftentimes what I love about a lot of podcasts is how conversational it can be. It's about people getting to know each other and oftentimes interviews and any kind of long form criticism or pop culture analysis can often uh, feel kind of rigid and kind of formulaic and you see mm. the same kind of things over. And your show is really just about getting to know someone and allowing that conversation to kind of uh, do its own thing. So that's what we, I know Tony and I really enjoyed about it and what we I enjoy while I, when I listen to your show. Um, so before we start talking about the topic of today's episode, why don't you tell our guests, uh, you know, about the genesis of your show and, and, you know, make the pitch for it, I guess. Sure. So I will give you the, 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 the bridge version. It started in 2013 sure. with a co-host. Uh, they left about about the first about 20 episodes, they decided we decided to uh, peacefully part ways. But when they did that, they were kind enough to not ask for the equipment back or the money we put into it. Uh, so I kind of went forth with it. Went real um, going at it for, was you know we started I started 2013 um, when my daughter was born. Kind of took uh, didn't stop the show, but I went from weekly to then it kind of went dropped down to monthly. And then maybe I'd say in the last few months, um, it's kind of been the biggest shift. I've added or recently I've added a new team. I have a team of. Uh, with me, I've got Brianna Benjamin, Will Forcer. He's actually local. He lives around here. And, and uh, Mike Schwartz, Chris Ball, and then my producers. And now we're kind of working and trying to see what what this is. And in and, and that time, I, I have to say I've been very fortunate because I got to talk to some really great people over the years. And some of those people had gone on to become, like, big in our world. So, like, you know, very niche culture stuff to go on to do stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you and, you and shout out to Tony were super nice to come on. Oddly enough, what that I never thought that would be... That was one of the last times I was in that studio, to be honest. Oh, yeah. When did we record that? That was what? In, was it in February or was it in March? February? Uh, yeah, it's not February or March, but it just yeah. the way it had panned out. It was one of the last the last ones I got to do in person with someone. Uh, but so it's been fun. Um, so, you know, we try to... I try to... Uh, the, 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 I guess the pitch to the show is that if we... Let's chat is a long-form conversational podcast that we'd like to seek out guests from niche cultures of uh, punk rock, film, television, behavior... There's a bit of a behavioral health... Uh, element to it. I, I, I've been working in that field for about 10 years. So it, it's been really good. I mean, since we're doing a music episode, a lot of, uh, especially recently, I've been a real, like, kick of music. Uh, up by the, I don't know when this will go up, but I just recorded a great episode recently with Heath, who was in Midtown and Census Fail. Uh, Benny from Gaslight oh, wow. Anthem has been on. Um, if you get real deep in, if you want to get real deep emo, you can get, like, I mean, Jeff Garlock from Orchid, if you get, like, crazy and that stuff. Um, the show mm -hmm. isn't a punk rock podcast, but a lot of people from that world tend to kind of come over because I grew up in that world. But, yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's, like, like you said, it's just... That's why you had me and Tony on, because we're super punk rock. That was it? Well, you were a musician, oddly <laughs> enough. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to think that I still am. <laughs> still, yeah. It's just punk, punk, punk AF. <laughs> and shout out to Tony. Uh, and he's part of the New Dads Club. I hope he's uh, handling it as well yeah. as one can. He, he's super busy. He's got two little ones to take care of. We miss him on the show. Uh, we have recorded some stuff with him. And so um, that episode will have uh we will be posted by the time your episode comes out but um oh good yeah, man. i'm rambling but um yeah so hopefully he could keep popping back and forth and and come on when he can and we can get back to a normal schedule because i uh i miss talking to him oh yeah and once once his little ones get older i think it takes about six months for um for it to become normal that's for having children that's pretty much anything in life uh, for any major life change from having kids or traumatic events or whatever it is like even like about the pandemic it just takes six months for whatever to happen in your life to become normal and then he'll start to get a as they get older his schedule starts to become yours again i think that's the hardest switch so then you get your partner back and then you can have more of that <laughs> but now we can have dad jokes with a good reason instead of just having dad jokes 
Because that was at least he's a dad. Because <laughs> was, I was guilty yep. of that before I was a dad, just making the jokes but not having the kid. And very silly. So you're, you're not allowed to do dad jokes without being a dad? I did. The, and okay. <laughs> I'm all for it. But at least you get people <laughs> laugh a little bit harder when you're like, mm, he's lucky. He's got a little one. Sure. I suppose so. You know, that, that it feels a little unfair because that means that raises the bar for me and I have to do non-dad jokes. <laughs> you got to work hard. And i got to work harder and Tony can just kind of slum it now and I just know. do dad jokes all the time. I haven't and slept in six months. And you're like, oh, let me kind of nail the punchline. Do I have a good premise? Like, do I go full Babriglia? <laughs> he gets up at four in the morning to feed his kids. I get up at four in the morning to punch up jokes for the podcast. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. So we we corresponded back and forth we knew after that we went on your show that we we had to get you onto our show because we had so much fun and it took us forever to narrow down a topic we sent back messages and messages and lists upon lists of different topics and first i was like just give me a list of stuff and you gave me a list of things that you loved hoping that it would be things that i was unfamiliar with that you could share with me and that there were pop culture blind spots that I could fill in. And I responded back saying like, I've seen or listened to all of this, which by the way, made me so happy because it went sometimes setting things up can suck, but it, I don't know about you, but I felt like the more we were going back and forth, I was like, I think Matt's becoming my friend because we love (laughs) all of the stuff that people that I love that very few people I know. Not where I mean, I I don't remember where our list was, but I think I do remember probably sending over like a lot of TV shows like, you know, not everyone I know loves Veronica Mars or Freaks and Geeks. Like, you know, they're big in our, like, vulture comedy like sure. comedy world. But, like, outside of a few, those people, no one knows that stuff. So I sent that list. I forgot what was on that list. I know the first one I was really pushing was, for, like, DuckTales. But, like, and some of the shows I put on there, I'm like, you've actually seen this? I, and we're not talking, like, The Wire, The Sopranos. I don't. I wish I could recall. But I think we put some pretty obs- pretty obscure-ish stuff on there. So I was just blown away by yeah, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember... But it, we went back for, and forth for a while. And then even there were lists that you sent me of blind spots that you had that you were also kind of like, well, yeah, but I don't know if I care about anything. I, 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 which I, I, use, I, I, yeah, I started like thinking not in terms of branding, but I was like, I don't know if I want to become known as the person who just poo-poos on stuff because I've done that and it's fun. But I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I've got, I, I went on to my friend, uh, a Brady Bunch rewatch podcast called The Very Brady Podcast. I was like, I have no problem shitting on the Brady Bunch. No one's gonna come at me for that. But like, I, but oh, as a side note, the funniest thing in your email was like, I was like, I don't think anyone would listen to an episode if we did Texas is the reason. <laughs> and, oh my god, I wish I could make that a meme because you're right, nobody would. But it was so funny. I think that's for us one of the tricky things. Um, is is trying to find that balance about things that people will are generally interested in, but things that we're generally in, interested in as well. Cause there are definitely things that, that Tony and I want to explore or discover that don't have really big audiences. And that doesn't, doesn't always translate. You know, you don't have people like, cause the hope is always that like, if we're doing an episode on, on um, the X files that people are going to watch those episodes and then listen to our podcasts or, 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 or do them together in a way. Cause that's what I like to do. I like to, Oh yeah. If it's a, if it's a deep dive on a subject and I know you're a big fan of this podcast. Um, but blank check. Um, Oh yeah. I always, I always watch if I'm not, if I hadn't seen it relatively recently, I like to watch the movies along with what they're watching. I actually got to interview Griffin. Yeah. I, yeah, I know that that's pretty, that's pretty cool. He's a. He seems like a cool dude. I, same way. I felt the same way. And um, I just have to throw this out there because I'm such a person. I'm such a sucker for like some like for any sort of generosity. So a he did the podcast, which is like beyond nice as could be. But like the day we had did it, it was like right. It was like that. It was the Saturday after that first week where things were like really getting heated and stuff. So just really, I had a horrible day. Heat, but I didn't want to cancel. Um, and then so we did, and he his poor poor guy his mom he thought his mom had at one point but so we did a whole podcast we about thirty minutes into it and my daughter got sick and like threw up so I had to, like go take care of it thought we were fine went back up we started recording again she got sick again I had to run back down and take care of her and he's like hey man do you want to just do this again in like a couple of weeks or so he's like let's just re-record and I was like in my I was so just burnt out from everything I work in a hospital. I was like, yeah. And then I was like really bummed. I was like, oh, well, I lost my chance at Griffin Newman. At least I got a 30-minute interview. And 
so, you know, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me anything. He was so nice. He's like, no, 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 I'll come back. And he came back on and he talked to me for like hour. He gave me a, a couple hours of this time. Just what a, I just, I'm so touched by that. I think that's just such a generous thing to his character. Um, and I, and besides the fact that I'm a fanatic of that show and all the great stuff that his work, but uh, I, like you guys, I'm sure the same way. Like I love supporting people, good people who do good work. It makes it better. It made me like blank check better knowing that they're good people. Yeah, it's, it's tricky when you're reaching out to people, too. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I, I hope they're interested in the, these things. And um, But we, we so we went back and forth. It took us quite a few weeks to narrow down a subject. But finally, you had suggested the topic of today's episode, which is Sunny Day Real Estate's album Diary uh, from 1994. Uh, you had never listened to this, and I, through past conversations... I knew that you were a big emo kid, um, and that's kind of like your big kind of um, two thousand early two thousands. Um, that was kind of your go to for music. Yeah. So it, it kind of surprised me that you had never listened to it before, and um, you seemed the most excited about kind of checking that off your list. So um, let's get into it. Why have you never listened to Sunny Day Real Estate? I don't know. I 100% I couldn't think I mean well 1994 I don't know how old I was but in 94 I was pr- I don't know how old I was I'm 35 whatever the uh, in, in 1994 most likely I'm purchasing Space Jam soundtrack and maybe like Nirvana past the prime definitely Weird Al and uh, no doubt like Tragic King like Tragic Kingdom and I don't know how I'm, I honestly truthfully I, it was never like I hate them or I dislike them it it was which I'm so glad we did go back as much as we did because this is a truthful blind spot. I have no good reason. I never had a single reason to not like them. And then it turned out, uh, uh, like, every band, everything I love seems like it came from this one album. Like, everything that went <laughs> forward, I was, like, listening to it. Maybe that's why I loved Emo so much because I had not heard Sunny Day first. And so, like, for me hearing, like, the Ghetto Kids or, like, stuff like that, it was like, this is, like, the first time I ever heard it. Yeah, I have, I don't have a good answer. And boy, howdy, I wish I I wish I had um, found them earlier. But which is so great because what it ended up being really fun for me. Like, this ended up not being a chore. It ended up, like, really discovering something I loved. And it turns out I had listened to members of Sunny Day Real Estate on other podcasts without realizing, like, they were in Sunny Day. Like, Jeremy something? Jeremy Ennick? Yes, yes, because uh, I'm a huge fan of the podcast... Um, washed up emo, uh, but it's a, okay. a blog and all that. And this is the silly part. This is going to be so embarrassing. The opening to uh, Washed Up Emo is um, Circles by Sunny Day Real Estate. <laughs> so when that song came out, I'm like, are you fucking... Because I had interviewed Tom like, many years ago. And you know he's he's like now the emo guy. There's a book and all this stuff. He, he's the ho- he's the host of that podcast. Yeah, he's it's a book. It's a it's a book. It's a podcast. It's a website he also made the website is this if you've never been there um he would be a great okay. guest for you guys but he's also like works in the industry but it was just so weird because the opening of that song is the and then it's kind of like a melody into like get up kids and all this like emo and stuff and i listened and i was like i don't know how i never put that together i, I i'm kind of blown away now w- were you aware of the band well did you have friends that were fans i must have i just don't that I, I really don't I, I don't know how I missed it I still because like I guess my getting into that type of music my entry point would be to give like a time frame would be like 2001 2002 like I was in high school like I think Boy Sets Fire was like the first alt non like commercial band a friend turned me on to and like got really into like Saves a Day so it, it, it's a band I knew the name like every band I love has referenced Sunny Day Real Estate um Maybe I think I confused them a little bit with um, no use for oh, not no use for a name. I always just associate. I think I wonder if I like, kind of like misremembered cloudy day it. real estate. What's that? Cloudy day. Cloudy, cloudy day, day yes. real estate. Or the I was trying to think one of the daycare. I've been watching a lot of Toy Story. My daughter is one of the the, day, the daycares always makes me real estate. I, I just I, I don't know. I just for, yeah. I know everyone I know loved them, and maybe that's why I didn't like them for a while because there's a lot of uh, personality types that I hung out with in like the scene in Connecticut who were like dicks about it. Maybe that was it. Oh, that kind of condescending, like you don't know who yes. Sunny Day Real Estate is, and then it instantly turns you off to mm-hmm. the band. I mean, I wonder if that was it, but for whatever reason, and like, because like, one of the members was in Foo Fighters, correct? 
Two of them, yeah. Okay, because I love Chris Shiflett, but not he wasn't one of them. For me, I was in a band um, around uh, mid to late 90s. This is like my first band, so high school band. Um, and one of the members, he was a big fan of Sunny Day Real Estate. And he's like, you have to get this album. You have to get Diary. And t- he told me that his reference point for it was Nirvana. He's like, they're kind of like Nirvana, but maybe a little... Uh, I don't I don't remember how he explained it, but he, it, it was more like... And you could kind of hear it in some ways because they're a band that was also on Sub Pop, um, the same label as Nirvana, and they're also from Seattle, Washington. Um, and it does have that kind of um, fragile... Uh, that fragility to his voice where it sort of intentionally breaks up. Like he's not like a good singer necessarily. Uh, and it does have the loud, quiet thing that Nirvana has. Obviously I think Nirvana is a little more, they're a little weirder. They're a little more aggressive and they're a little more, their music's a little uglier. Yeah. And Nevermind was like a little more cleaner, a little more pop. I've watched, it's funny you said, I've been watching a lot of um, YouTube of Butch Vig, I, I get in sometimes when I'm not doing well mentally, I'll go on YouTube and watch isolated tracks of different songs. But I had been doing a rabbit hole of bit. Um, I, for, I forgot. I think it might still be on Netflix, but the recording of uh, is Bitch Vig going. Oh, never the, mind. Butch yeah, Vig. and like the isolated tracks of, uh, of of stuff, and like I didn't realize how much Beatles influenced that. Um, Kurt yeah. Had. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think Nevermind is a in a way is a sort of an outlier because it it is a little more polished than everything else they've done. And and In Utero is famously um, their first releases, you know, Kurt brought them to the record label and the record label said, we won't release this. So they hired someone to remix it. And because they said it was, they buried his voice in the mix. And I've heard some of those alternate mixes and and they're not as as drastically different as as, uh, I think they, they were made out to be. But... Um, but anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Um, so I went out and I had bought it and I, I didn't like it. I really, I, I didn't connect to it. I thought it was a little too samey. And I think I just, cause at that time working a shitty job every Friday I get paid. And the first thing I do is I go to the record store, mm-hmm. go to Newberry comics and I just buy stuff. So if it d- wasn't something that grabbed me, or force me to repeatedly listen to it to try to get it. Um, it would just kind of live with all of my other CDs and oh, sure. eventually get shuffled down in the pile. So it became a band that I didn't really actively think of until I started playing in some hardcore in a hardcore band and then playing in uh, an emo band uh, in the early 2000s. And then I had friends that were really into it. Uh, and I think at that point in time, I was also sort of um a little dismissive of it because i was like oh yeah i've heard that and uh it's not for me necessarily um so this episode for me is in a way to kind of go back to that original moment and reevaluate it uh with 2020 matt to see oh do i like this did i was i right the first time do i you know um so that's kind of my experience with it um but you seem to be you seem to be pretty positive on it you you really liked it yes and no um, I like the band. It's I wouldn't I would, but this isn't even an insult to Sunny Day Real Estate because my listening habits have changed. Because um, I'm like a child of Napster, I don't really listen to full albums anymore. So it's a band that I will listen to about like I like enough of their songs. While I'll definitely put them on my playlist, but I don't think I would ever sit down and listen to Diary. But one thing you just said that made me think of it. I recognize the cover of the album, and maybe it's just because it's Spotify, but there's no, their name isn't on it. It's just like a cover, which I know is like super punk rock. But I wonder if that's another reason I never thought to put together, because I had seen that album, and in my head I misconstrued it, and I thought it was like uh, American football or something like that. And I don't even dislike them. I just It's funny how memory works, but because it doesn't say Sunny Day Real Estate on it, I wonder if that's been my whole life. I must have seen that album cover a million times. Until you sent me the link, I was like, that's what we're doing like i had no idea <laughs> it is a cool it is a really cool album cover it's got like those what are those they toys like they're like things. the uh they're like the um so bad bad marketing on their part but also punk as fuck <laughs> sure they're those little like popple people or something like that with a the little they're like cylindrical with like the round heads with yeah. like the 
stiff hair that you put on with the little circles in the bottom it's of them. It's really cool. They're called Little People. That's what it's called. Yeah, but if you would look at that cover, you're not going to be like, this is a, a groundbreaking emo record. Like, I honestly... Their second album is is like self-titled, but they ended up, people dubbed it the Pink Album because it's just a pink cover. And it also, there's no like lyrics or anything because I think at that point, they sort of were breaking up as they were recording it. And even uh, I was reading some interviews and uh, the lead singer, Jeremy Ennick, was saying that, oh, there are lyrics on there that weren't finished. It's just all gibberish. Um, and like, it's not actual lyrics. It, and they released it anyway because they're like, oh, whatever, we're breaking up. Um, but I, I think that was what was interesting about reading that uh, to me was that I feel the same way about Diary. Like, I don't think the lyrics are are interesting at all i mean if you could discern what he's saying half the time because it's so mush mouth and so mumbly but even when i was looking up some of the lyrics they're not they're not very good i mean they're just so vague like in this um song the in circles that you're mentioning the lyrics are meet me there in the blue where words are not feelings remains sincerity trust in me throw myself into your door (laughs) Well, I go in circles, in circles, I'm running down. I mean, like, they're so broad and that it could mean whatever you want it to mean. They're just like, they're almost nothing. But it doesn't matter when you listen to it because, like, it is kind of, again, he's just like, half the lyrics when I would look at them and and I was listening along while reading it, I was just like, wow, you're you're really trying to force these into your into your melody because most of the time he just like elongates words and it's 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 so mush so mumbly and mush mouth <laughs> do you think it's a like i'm gonna guess the writing style as you said i was thinking the same thing it sounds like a band that wrote the melody first and lyrics second yeah it almost seems probably like a band that they he was just making up as they were going along kind of thing um yeah, along those lines, where it's melody kind of first, lyrics second. But it's funny because most people talk about this band in terms of just like, oh, it's so deep and so passionate. And I don't find that in these words at all. But I mean, I guess you can feel that the way he sings. Like, it's yeah, clearly he's, he's a like, you know, it, it goes with the name of the genre. He's emoting. He's over emoting, you know. Um, I, and and so I, I haven't really said necessarily how I feel about this. And I'm and again, I still, I don't know if this is for me necessarily. I think listening to it now, I can hear how influential it is. I mean, it's crazy. Like this feels like such a blueprint for so, so many of, everything of those I love. 2000 third wave emo mm-hmm. bands. Everything from the Get Up Kids to Thursday. You could hear it all in here. Um, it, it, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And uh, bands like them and, and probably Fugazi um, is really kind of the wellspring for once for all of that kind of really popular email kind of stuff. I think you could also probably throw in Pinkerton in there too. And obviously there's some other bands, but those are maybe the broad strokes, I think. Yeah, yeah. But it was kind of remarkable to hear this and be like, this is the genre fully formed. And I think what was frustrating to me listening to this is like, I can appreciate this but why didn't the other bands that emulated this do anything differently? <laughs> or I, I like there's a band, a sub-pop band. Um, they weren't like super big, but the Oxford Collapse, they kind of had a similar thing, but with um, the singer Mike um, has a much different, um, less dirty voice. He has like a cleaner voice. Um, I forgot the name of that style of that guitar that you play. It's like a type of emo you play the guitar like, on the neck and you kind of like math rockish stuff. I've been watching some weird YouTube shit about it, but it's like that. I don't actually know how like to play fin- music. Finger tapping. Kind yeah. Of Cause like that, that yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I think that too. I also could, but that made me think about the lyrics. Um, if I though, if I was like 15, 14, 15 and I read those lyrics in the right mood, I probably would have like been an annoying, like freshman in college philosophy kid. <laughs> so, but like, it's funny. Sure. You're right. It's, it's true. I, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that the thing that I complain about the album, but at a certain point, it, it did become very like by like the last track. I'm like, I thought I already heard this song. Like so at some point, all of their songs started to sound the same. 
I didn't actually put together the Thursday connection until just you said that. I was like, oh, you're so right. Like, that style of guitar. So I guess for me, like, Thursday was that band. The first time I heard Thursday was the first time I had recall having reactions to hearing music that way. And apparently, I don't know about you, did you have that too when you first found, like, this the scene, that style of music? Like, I thought I was discovering fire. And then, like, oh, this is already here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And they weren't their first bands to do this. There's a lot of those you know, 80s hardcore bands that were doing Rites of Spring I th- uh, um, was another big one uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. And, and they were definitely borrowing from a lot of that early 90s alternative. And there is a bit of grunge in there because it has that sort of interlocking uh, finger pick guitars, uh, not finger pick, but interlocking kind of arpeggiated guitars goes from clean to quiet, aggressive with a lot of kind of like and then the start stop tempo things and then um the kind of the double timing on the drums and then the tempo changes and um so it's all there that tempo is right there but i do think this album could use a little more variety like there's that one song uh ferritin scarudo which is like a piano kind of waltz thing yeah and it reminded me of it reminded me of elliot smith and i was like ah, i would i could really dig i would like more of this wish there was more of this song in here um and i do think like those first few songs like when when you put the album on you hear seven which feels like their big sort of i guess that was one of their bigger songs um and then in circles uh you're kind of like okay yeah i'm feeling this and then as the album progresses a lot of it is still in that vein so I think that's the biggest thing. Like, like you were saying, like, oh, you don't listen to albums as much anymore. I can imagine a couple of these songs popping up in a mix, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm really feeling this. Uh, within the context of an album, I was just like, oh, I wish there was more. But I could, again, like, it, it's, it's so influential. It's hard to deny, like, that this is like the DNA for a lot of music. To oh come. my goodness, yeah. Well, and it's also embarrassing. So my cousin was in a band, like, was in the Seattle music scene of this time frame. Or I'm sorry, she was Olympia, but, you know, a lot of crossover in that area. And, like, I still can't even believe I, like, completely... So she played... um, This might be wrong, but I think she... I think her band opened up for Nirvana on the Bleach release show. I think that's right, because I know they're, like, part... But I think maybe that's another reason I kind of miss Sunny Day, because, like... My growing up, my cousin was in a band called Unwound, which like they were more known for like they toured like that Slater Kenny. Oh yeah, so I, I have like, heard mixed... Unwound. Oh right, yeah. My my cousin Sarah is the drummer was the drummer, um, and they were like that oh, wow. noisy stuff, and I really hated a lot of it. Yeah, to be I, I was much younger, so uh, <laughs> she's lovely. But like it's just like I wonder if that was part of it too. Like I'm like I feel like I should I should have wrote to her to ask her if she knows you. Every so often I can ask her stuff like certain things, and she'll be like, oh yeah, of course, like. Because we're, she's you know she's older, so like our musical time stuff doesn't always overlap. So she's like, what? Because you know most people fall out of stuff as they get older. That's funny. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm thinking like I was like, man, I even had like a family member playing music in that scene at that time, and I still had never, never saw him. I don't. I'm still kind of like can't get over that. Am I wrong to remember that they had something to do with uh, my so-called life? Sunny day. I feel like they're that band where like they became like the hip indie band where their poster would be in the background for a lot of like what would become cult TV shows. I don't think so. They're from what I was reading. Um, I'm just making this stuff that were... I think that's true, and it turns out it's not. <laughs> from what I was reading, they're pretty notoriously uh, camera shy, and they really didn't do any interviews for this album. And they, I think, their first shows in europe were after they had broken up and they had gotten back together wow. another time after like they had gained this cult uh success i think the only thing they did on television um they recorded an episode of 120 minutes do you remember that show 
I actually watched um, it on YouTube. Was that Matt Penfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been Did coming up a the lot sunny... the last few days. You know what? Side sidetrack. This is kind of odd. Um, he keeps showing up on my Facebook people you may know, and I <laughs> okay. fucking love that man. Like growing up with MTV, I've listened to, I, yeah, I, I oh, followed yeah. him, and I'm, I just keep being like, do I, do I hit the ad? Do I hit the ad? Because for some reason, I just like the last I did or the last few I've recorded it was like this one, and then um, you know, I'm sure you might know or know a Rob Duguay, the music journalist with Providence Cat. And then I was talking to Heath from... And somehow Matt Penfield hit the last, like, three episodes that's been coming up. All right, Matt Penfield, we're coming for you. <laughs> so did you did you watch the Sunny Day uh, performance on the I probably watched minutes? it live when it aired, but I watched it on YouTube yeah. recently. I watched a little bit. Yeah, me YouTube. too. I, I watched it before uh, we started chatting. I was I had it on. Uh, they sounded pretty good. I thought they were they were pretty they were pretty tight. Remember when Jamie Josta took took it over? When, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. When um, Jamie Josta took, because I'm from Connecticut and he was from you know Haybreeds from our area, but like uh-huh. he when he took it over for MTV for the second round in 120 minutes, and that just popped into my head. <laughs> Wasn't so good. Yeah, I think I had checked out by then. Yeah, I thought they sounded pretty good. The other thing for me, uh, the connection to this band, it was the Foo Fighters because I was a massive Nirvana fan, and the first instrument that i learned to play was the drums and so my hero was dave grohl so when they he started out on his own as the foo fighters i was like if dave can play guitar then i could play guitar so that's Mm -hmm. when i started learning how to play guitar uh and the first concert ever i went to was the foo fighters that first show was their initial lineup which was nate mendel on bass and guitar who was the bassist um Oh. For for Sunny Day, and William Goldsmith was the Foo Fighters' original drummer, um, their touring drummer, uh, and Nate is still in the Foo Fighters. Uh, but Nate, but William Goldsmith, uh, there's this actually there's this good documentary about the Foo Fighters, and uh, they get into it on there. But when they were car- recording the second Foo Fighters record, um, Dave wasn't happy with William's drumming because you know Dave is Dave. He's one of the one of the best drummers humans um, possibly so he just re-record he re-recorded them all and then that's when um william goldsmith left the band uh and then um uh, they got uh taylor hawkins who's now their drummer so what what documentary is that i'm a i don't remember the name of it it's the foo fighters uh, not the sonic highway thing no uh, I, I just love documentaries so i'll try i'll, I'll seek that out i'll be honest i that foo fighters could have been another band with a huge blind spot for me I think it's called Back and Forth. They were, the you know, so Sunny Day has, they were recording a fourth album, I believe, like in the early 2010s, and, and it never came out. They never finished it. And the drummer, William Goldsmith, blames Dave Grohl because, you know, Nate, Nate, I guess, they were recording in Dave Grohl's studio, and and I I don't know. It, it's, it feels like a lot of kind of catty back and forth, like, you know, probably old resentments and grudges that are coming to the surface and stuff. Um, but because William Goldsmith has essentially said like, oh, I don't, Dave's not supportive of Nate doing the Sunny Day stuff. He wants Nate to just do the Foo Fighter stuff. So who knows? But it seems like a band that they were always on the precipice of getting ready to break up. And they've even blamed it on Jeremy Ennick becoming like a, a born again Christian. And that's when they broke up the first time and he became born again. And Is, that, um, is he really but that like, born again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I read a quote from him somewhere. Uh, let me see if I can. The singer find of it. Thrice, as well, is like a, another one of those. Like I think Emory. There's like a few of those like Christian. Well, I know there's a whole. I, I had a lot. I listened to a lot of Christian music because there was that that period where a lot of Christian bands would just. It became you could be like there was a period of music where you could be a Christian band by just not swearing, but then you know some of those people didn't actually believe it. But there's a few of them that like. Um, Dustin Kenshore, he did. He was a singer of Thrice, also a great soul album. He, I think he's a fellow mm-hmm. evangelical pastor. I think he's a pastor as well. Which who? Um, Dustin Kenshore. He played. He was the lead singer of Thrice. He had a really great soul album as well. And you know, as you're looking up, you know, I, I, I don't. It's funny you're saying that. Like all those things could, are so funny, but like it made me think. I think Dave Grohl might be the Tom Hanks of like the music industry. So like, I don't know anything about this, the gentleman you're talking about, uh, Matt, like, but like, if you're going to throw out like caddy stuff of why your album didn't come out against Dave Grohl, it's just hard because there's so few people who probably have a bad thing to say about Dave Grohl. So I, I wonder if there's probably some more internal, 
uh, my my behavioral health background's kicking in. I was like, maybe that band had some of their own issues. I mean, I could be wrong. It's just, it's. I like, mean, they've broken up multiple times. Yeah, and I was had like, oh multiple man. Members. Dave Grohl might not be the guy you want to use as your example is fucking you over. I'm like, that guy's got a long list of people who have said very nice things about him. And it all could be true. If you watch that Food Fighters documentary, Dave is just like, yeah, I handled this situation wrong. When he re-recorded the drums on the second Food Fighters record because he didn't think they were good enough. So he's like, I... He's like, I wanted them to be what I wanted them to... I wanted them to be how I heard them and it wasn't... It wasn't meeting my standards, but I handled the situation poorly. So it could be one of those things yeah, where no one's perfect by any means, you know. But then again, like you know, after a while, it's just like okay, like maybe maybe bad blood uh, and resentment probably lasted and, too long. And what, what a bad person to go against because I'm I'm a firm believer of like celebrating your friends' successes and pulling each other up and like imagine. But you know, there's a billion of those stories of people who get kicked out of bands right before they blow. Obviously, Pete Best being the more famous of that, or like the guy from like Blink or My Camp. There's so many of those stories of people who like, get kicked out of a band or right before the takeoff or vice versa. I love that stuff. Yeah, so I saw both of them playing with the Foo Fighters because that was my first concert. What, where was the show at? That was at um, the original Lupo's in, in downtown Providence. See, but I think I, by the time I even learned the Foo Fighters, they were already a stadium band, and I wonder if that's why I didn't like ever really get into them. But I love the Michelle Gondry videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're great. For me, it's just that connection to Nirvana, and it's never going to be as good as Nirvana, and I think... They're a decent singles band. I think you could put together a good Foo Fighters mix, but yes. I don't think any of their albums, aside from maybe their first one, are great as a whole. Um, but they're they're still around, and they're still releasing stuff, and everyone loves Dave. And But to be honest, I'd rather hear Dave playing drums on Queens of the Stone Age records. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but that's just but me. A, a friend of mine um, made... Um, it, I met through doing the podcast. He made the documentary called A Fat Wreck, which is fucking incredible. But he, um, Chris Shiflett, was in No Use for a Name, who's now in Foo Fighters, um, was so he's in, he's featured in that documentary plenty. But um, it was another thing. Like Sean was just telling me the same thing. It was just like could not be it could not be nicer or kinder or just like it just. I have such a man crush on that dude. He's just like that whole band. <laughs> everyone in Foo Fighters, even they have, they have fucking Pat smear. I mean. Did you ever, remember VH1 did some tribute and when Paul McCartney did the song of Food Fighters and someone had this thing, it's like, I never thought I'd live to see the day where a germ would be playing with Nirvana and the Beatles. And just like, yeah, when, oh, God, it's, it's something. But yeah, but yeah, Dave has become such that personality. And it's funny, but which ultimately would make Sunny Day the most punk rock thing of all, right? Is because they're kind of like, well, fuck you. you they're like the anti-Food Fighters. Financially speaking, I don't know. How I guess I mean <laughs> it's only the drummer that's it's the only the drummer that really has anything to say. But it's funny because I do hear a lot of what the Foo Fighters do in Sunny Day, and you could hear bass player Nate Mendel. You can hear, uh, you know, that overlap and what he did in Sunny Day, the way he plays um, with how he plays in um, in Foo Fighters. Well, you're a musician. You actually write music. Do you find that true? Like, because I, I like when you like leave one band to the next. Like, do you find like if you're writing a song in your new band, like you're trying not to rip off your old one? I, I'm just curious. I've never thought of that. Well, I mean, it, there's. I think there's probably a lot of factors involved. You know, it depends on who's the driving creative force. He's just a bass player, mm-hmm. so I mean, and not to denigrate bass players. Obviously, I'm not. But within the scheme of both bands, he's not the chief songwriter, sure. is essentially what I'm saying. More like so a hired gun kind of I thing. I think, in a way, but I think, you know, you're still, he's still doing his thing. Dave, I don't think Dave is really playing bass on any of those recordings. I mean, maybe, but I think he's, he's still playing. He still has a style, and you could hear that. Um, he uses a pick, uh, he doesn't play with his fingers. He has particular rhythms. <laughs> That I, I think you could hear, like just listening to to Diary, I was like, oh yeah, I recognize this form of of bass playing. Um, he'll double up the rhythm and, and and drive the song a little bit more, even if the band is is playing something a little slower. Yeah, again, I I, I noticed those kind of stylistic things between what he was doing with Sunny Day and, and and Foo Fighters stuff. But they yeah, they only did one live performance on T. They only did one performance on TV that that that. Um, 120 minutes um and then they but they also did um uh, a performance on the john stewart show <laughs> do you remember the john stewart show 
Vaguely, because didn't the state come out of that? Um, I think there's some connection where the state had like a little cameo. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. But there's like a bunch of little... I don't know. I remember the Conan clip. That's usually my first thinking. Oh, you know, no, no. I'm thinking... I was thinking you wrote it, you want... John Stewart hosted... I think John Stewart hosted a different show called You Wrote It or You Write It, We Watch It or something. It was a short-lived, like, sketch show on MTV where, like, people like you or me would write a sketch and then they would film it that I think he had. But, yeah, I do kind of remember that. It was right before The Daily Show. He took it over. He had his own show on MTV and, uh, yeah, it was, like, kind of interview format and they they have a performance on there. Actually, I want to ask you a question about that and, and stop me if this will take us too far off. Um, but I think... Isn't John Stewart's show ending and then him taking over the Daily Show? I would love to interview someone who would actually know more about this, like who were part of it. But to mimic, um, I think that was kind of a storyline to uh, the last season of the Gary, Sh- um, of the Larry Sanders show. If I ever meet John Stewart, I'll find a way to bring that up. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember the I last. I feel like season. I heard John well, because he was. Well, no, because John Stewart was on Larry Sanders, and he was like, I think the connection. I think that. I think the corollary there was that it was like a, the way Letterman was supposed to be taking over for Leno. I think that was kind of what they were trying to, to, to do a take on. Sure, yeah, because in the last season of that show, Jon Stewart takes over for Larry, which leads to the most uncomfortable, amazing scene in comedy where it's the Wu-Tang Clan and Jon Stewart and Jeffrey Ch- uh, Hank, Jeffrey Chamber uh, walks yeah. over and walks over and says, like, what's up, Mai? And he says the N-word, and it, it's yeah, so yeah. uncomfortable. But, um, yeah. sorry, I'll, we'll bring it back to what you're saying. But um, I don't think Sunday <laughs> Day reached enough success to ever play the Larry Sanders show. But they were on um, some late night shows, I think. Did I see that? They reformed and they, uh, for so one of their reunions, because they've, they broke, they were together from 1992 to 95 and broke up. And then uh, 97 to 2001. And then with, and that was without uh, Nate Mendel, who's the bass player, because he stayed with the Foo Fighters. And then, uh, and then they did, yeah, I mean, I think he was basically just like, this is like a full-time job and this is a band that breaks up a lot. Um, and then they did a reunion in 2009 to 2013 and they played on the Jimmy Fallon show. That's what it was. Um, uh, I watched that and they, they sounded pretty good. Um, they seemed like the same old band. It's weird to see guys like that playing really youthful music, getting older, playing yes. the same kind of stuff. Speaking of Dave Grohl, you ever see that SNL skit with Fred Armisen, where they play the da- it's like a punk band playing the daughter's wedding. I don't think it's so. it's really funny I'll have to look that up. Yeah, anyone watching, you should watch it. it it's 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 basically the whole punk on that. But you know, I guess that and that's, I'm glad you said that though, because it actually circles back to your first question. I guess none of my friends were into them because I w- in that 2009 to 2013 period someone on my radar should have been like, do you want to go see Sunny Day Real Estate? But no one I know said a word to me. So I guess my my our touch base and a lot was just, I completely, just completely miss it. Complete blind spot, 100%. I don't think they toured much when they reformed in 2009 to 13. Exactly, which would make it even more of a reason, like if they were like doing like one show and like, like yeah, like, like Glassjaw plays a show, which is like, you know, I guess you could even trace that influence to Glassjaw. Like that would come on my radar, but no one said a word about Sunny Day. And that would have, my friends at that time frame would have been people who, who should have. So I guess maybe they were just a band that we missed. I guess like now it's funny looking back. I guess a lot of the stuff I think of too is like I have a lot of more um, East Coast New Jersey reference points for my musical taste, and I love I love Nirvana, I love grunge and stuff. Or I just never considered I never thought of emo. But the one of my, there's a pop punk band I love now called Dead Bars, but they're out of Seattle. Yeah, I guess I just never connected as much with the West Coast music. I like a lot of the stuff I've been saying is mostly in bands from like New Jersey and Long Island. I guess I'm one of those people. Like for me, like older email, like would be like Lifetime would be the band that I think was the stuff that would go on to influence a lot of the stuff I love. So, do you think Sunny Day like kind of influenced a little bit of like I'm hearing a lot of like the Midwestern like that um like oh yeah Saddle it's, Creek. it's definitely the Midwestern thing yeah yeah that Saddle Creek stuff I guess maybe I always identified that as Midwestern type of music rather than Seattle weird yeah yeah I mean kind of because like you know a lot of those some of those bands were on sub pop and um. But you could hear the influence in something like Jimmy Eat World, or or um, or or in obviously the Get Up Kids or the Promise Ring in yeah. particular. Oh, definitely. Even like if you want to go like Braid, like some of that, like a lot. I, yeah. I'll, 
Maybe that's what. It, maybe the first Sony, like the Diary, it's good. But I think I because I like like you, I'm much more of a Nirvana fan. I like. I really besides my love of emo and stuff, I really love pop. Like unabashedly, especially at those times in my life, I would say shamefully like would go to like shows. But then, like, when I'm by myself, I would just, like, get really into, like, Queen and Meatloaf and, like, that stuff. But now I'm, like, oh, you know, ha- I celebrate it. So I think I always need, like, that sunny day, so, like, that emo. But when, like, a Jimmy Eat World, like, there's such a pop sensibility. I'm so much more drawn to, like, that kind of stuff than I am. Even Get Up Kids is way more poppier than, uh, than anything on Diary. Yeah, but their first record is probably, I don't want to say it's as close to this, but oh, it, it has those kind of elements. Yeah, and it's also the recording's not as great. Oh, like it's this garbage. recording also is it, this recording isn't like the remaster. I don't know if you listen to the remaster because I, I think Spotify. that's probably it's prob they probably have the remastered one. They put out a remastered one in two thousand nine, I believe, and it's better. It's not great though. It's still it's still kind of thin, and um, but the remaster does kind of beef it up a bit. Uh, I did go back and I listened to the original recording and. I can't say that that was a deterrent for me when I was young because like I listened to a lot of like four track recordings and garage and indie stuff in the 90s that didn't sound great but that you were like oh this is the aesthetic you know like I this is it. a guy in his bedroom mm-hmm. I listened to a lot of Lou Barlow and like Sebado and a lot of those kind of early indie bands and and things like Magnetic Fields, and, and those are bands that sound drastically different from Sunny Day, but it, it, I was still used to things that didn't sound great. But this sounds like something that's trying to sound great. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That's why I like it, though. Yeah, I, I guess so. Like, it is bombastic and kind of big, yeah. you know? I'm more, I, I say that first Get Up Kids record, too, like, I, like Four Minute Mile, which, oddly, that's a band that, you know, really got... That same person who showed me Boys That's Fire, Chris Riley, showed me a Get Up Kids and I actually got to um, interview Matt Pryor, which again was like a dream fucking come true. But like you know, he—it's funny too to talk to these people because they're like eighteen when they filmed recorded that album. Yeah. But but um, but the same thing we were saying is like that. The same with that album. I, there's that. I don't know. Maybe it's a music style. There's something about it's almost like a punk. My punk rock nature for certain things. There's some albums that work because they sound like shit, and I don't know how to explain it. And I think Sunny Day has. I think the Ghetto Kids. Um, I'm sure there's some other more famous records, but there's something about it, everything being off that you can't, there's something, it adds a value to it. That, that idea that like, if you heard this band, like this great production that it maybe take away from like this homemade quality to it, even though it's definitely not homemade. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I wonder. There is something about it that feels fragile to me. Cause like when you listen to the record, they're not great musicians. I mean, they don't sound like great musicians to me. Like, but that isn't necessarily a problem. Again, uh, it, I think it kind of builds in. It's almost like this self-mythologizing kind of thing. Like they kind of built this thing up to be like, oh, we're these sensitive dudes and we're singing sensitive music, even though most of the lyrics, again, don't really seem to mean anything. And 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 I'm sure they mean a lot to to the singer. Uh. But again, like they're so broad and, and kind of vague that I think you could kind of project anything onto them. I think that's better than a lot of those kind of early aughts emo stuff where a lot of the sentiment is just like, oh, why me? Poor me. I'm such a nice guy mm. kind of in- entitlement bullshit. A uh, lot of misogyny but, looking uh, back at it, to be kind of yeah, not, yeah. Every- not everything, but there's some uh, even like the starting line has come out against not come out, but like explained like some of their songs they have that one i forgot the song but they have a chorus it's like i'm gonna and it's the starting line you know like the song best of me they're just very very clean cut poppy looking band but they had a, a song with a very poppy chorus it was like i'm gonna tear ass up like we just got married and, and um you know he's a fine human being and so like you know i was like not the forgive me but like understandably some of the lyrics like um were pretty misogynistic looking back well, I mean, in the branding too. Like, I mean, I, was, I mean, Taking Back Sunday, like the band that like, probably would become on, like their most famous lyric of that, at least in my era, that era when they were making the MTV was like, "Sorry, I lost my thought, but it made me think because emo, the the word emo is just such a misunderstood word, and it's so funny to think that Taking Back Sunday and Sunny Day are still under that same umbrella. But like, if you talk to like most people, like outside of this music niche, they would never even put those in the same band, that same world. I, I, you know, the the thing for me, I always hated that 
that title. I, I know, and it's such a sh- because the idea too that it's show. like a sh- yeah, exactly. It's just like okay, yeah. I, I I think the you know I think Bowie is emotional. Like I mean, I, Nina Simone is emotional. Like jazz music is emotional. Yeah, like I, I know. I don't just to say that no, this music is really emotional. I think it's really just a reaction to 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 big corporate stuff that was because in the 90s when when people started labeling things emo there was that kind of dichotomy of like or, or there was that kind of notion of selling out which i think has sort yes. of disappeared and we're like oh man these guys sold out so i think that kind of maybe this label for for this type of music came from trying not to be those other bands, those bands that were being played on the radio and forced down people's throats where it became homogenous. And, and, and like after Nirvana, there was like a billion Nirvana uh, uh, and Pearl Jam kind of clones. So, um, which is funny because obviously a lot of emo bands sound a lot alike. <laughs> um, and I, that's for me is why, I, you know, my uh, affection for it doesn't run too deep because uh, I wish there was a little more variation. And I know you did you, you did mention that, you know, oh, no one would say these two bands are the same. And I guess that's fair because like, but I would I would never label a band like At The Drive-In emo necessarily. Well, there's a website. We could check that. I think they are. Uh, um, <laughs> no, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm really sure. But still, their their last album was like, I, I don't know. Right, I don't. Know, I'm, we're checking the emo council here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> All right, we're checking the council. Oh no, this is—I'm sure it would say uh, yes. Well, there's there's a lot of fun uh, jokes in here. I forgot. There's one at the drive-in is an emo band. At the drive-in, in however you spell, are one of the council's favorite live bands ever. But there's some fun stuff. There's some bands you could put in there, and it'd be like they make a joke about like Stevens on right. I'll talk on Stevens Untitled Rock Show (laughs) reviews. So it's there's some fun (laughs) in there. But um. Yeah, I know. It's it, it's a genre. I, I always think it's uh, emo and ska, I find, are the two most um, genres that, of my world that are the most misunderstood. Like, it's, like, it's so hard for someone to understand. I know. Especially, because, like, it's, especially emo, because I think if someone, well, I'm sure if they listen to this episode of this show, they're more in our, our world. But, like, to my parents, like, the peak fallout boy was what they would consider emo is like fallout boy when they were at the point where they were just like a straight up rock band which is great but like you know they started as a pop punk emo band and but and, and my i guess my chemical romance would probably be the band right they would be the one i guess most people at this point like in a broad spectrum like in a marvel popcorn movie kind of way i mean they, they were pretty popular right yeah they did like dick clark's rocking new year's eve yeah i would say fallout boy was probably the biggest but then you could even make the argument that a band like blink 182 in their last one of their last records were dipping their toes in it and obviously his spin-off band angels and airwaves was probably uh dipping their toes into that well too turns out tom DeLong was like might have been right by the way about what aliens yeah and that's the part that's the hardest for me all those years making fun of him and being like, like he's not right but he's less not well than i thought he was uh no he's still not well he seems like an asshole (laughs) i mean but here's the thing like it's a ufo which doesn't mean aliens it just means it's an unidentified just the needle got moved forward in a way that i never expected yeah i know it's just of course that information gets dropped during the middle of a goddamn pandemic you know because <laughs> I, I, I know um, I'm yeah. friendly with the person who did his play, I did like an interview with him for Playboy, and like had to like fo- like so follow him around, like you know, and and it was, uh, he's an odd dude, but apparently a good dad, a good. I think the writer is he's like he's like an odd dude. He's kind of sounds like just like a really nerdy dude with a lot of money. Kind of like I got that Matt Groening sense. It's like I'm really rich. So I get to sure. put all of my time into the <laughs> weird shit, which like if I had a billion dollars, I would just do this full time. It's fun because I don't get to talk about this stuff uh, nearly as much as I like to. Like put as much energy. Like, which one? I think the beauty of your show, Freddie. Like, um, it's like if you're coming on to do my show, it's great, but you just maybe you're prepared, but you don't have to. But like coming to do this, it really made me like think of like doing something. And I know at one point we we're talking about doing comic books, but I started like I really want to do something. Because I wanted to value my time and do something I would like, but it, besides the fact, like you know, I didn't absolutely love Sony Day Real Estate. I, I I do like them actually. I would say I'm a fan, but it made me just dive so much deeper into this world of music that I just haven't explored as recent as much. Because you know, life. 
busy job, kids. It's fun to talk about that stuff. They're an easy band to kind of uh, check off too because they only have like three records. So you can listen to like the Jeremy Enix, uh solo records. I guess he has a few of those too, uh, which I I've never I've never heard. Maybe I'll check those out. I guess, and there's like there's like so much. This happens in so many bands or music or comedy and art that there's always those things. There's always like the group that like starts it all and then the next one becomes like the next big thing kind of thing. But like. That must be cool for anyone to do anything and whatever the effect you get to have. And maybe they didn't expect it to go nearly as far as it did. But, like, how cool would it be to, like, you were in a band. is awesome. But then it influenced a fucking genre. And and not, like, new metal. Like, good music. <laughs> Actual good music. <laughs> were there any songs on the album in particular that you really liked? Uh, in Circles, which I know is, like, the hit, was obviously the first one that grabbed was the one um, that actually I find. It must be, like, their hit. At this point, that was my favorite. I didn't have to pull up the track list. I thought I had it in front of me, but I lost I, it. I, th- I think I think the first one is to Seven. I think that yes, one, Seven. They I played that really one on liked. TV a lot. Yeah. I think those first few tracks are probably the strongest. And like I said, I mentioned that uh, Fur, Furton Scaruto, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I kind of like that. Like I said, I wish there were more of that. There's a song called The Blankets Where the Stairs, which feels a little more like kind of shoegazy. You know what's funny I'd say about this album? Starts off really strong, gets better, and then I stop liking it towards the end. I really like the first like five or six tracks. And then by like t- seven and eight, I'm like, oh my god, just shut up. I think I mean I think maybe if you started at six and then went and listened to the last five, I think you'd probably feel differently because I just feel like a lot of it is is really similar. Uh there's not a ton of variation on this. A lot of the tempos are are all pretty similar. His melodies are relatively similar to each other. Uh, so it makes it all kind of samey. So yeah, I, I understand that. And I feel the same way too. Like um, the remastered version has a few extra out, like outtakes um, on it. And so it makes it a little longer. And and I get partway through and I'm like, oh shit, how long have I been listening to this to? It feels like I've been listening forever. And it's just like, oh, I'm only on like track five. Yeah, that's what's happened to me. But the, I, I def extrapolated enough tracks to my. I have a Spotify playlist um, that it's public. Anyone can follow. And please add. It's uh, called Let's Chat the Playlist. And okay, it's literally I just wanted to make my own Pandora. So it's just it started off of me trying to make a, a playlist of a thousand songs, and now it's like me and my friends and so, uh, some fans, and they just add stuff to it. But I listen to it all the time, all day long. But I added a few Sunny Day. They made it to my list. That's like how I know I like something. If, uh, if you can get a few tracks on there, I'm like, all right, you're in. Them and Jawbreaker were the two on my list of things that I missed. So maybe this made me kind of think, like, maybe I should finally listen to Jawbreaker so my friend Bo will not hate me for not listening to Jawbreaker after all these years. So should I listen to Jawbreaker? What are your takes on that one? You know, I don't... uh, They're another band that I've probably listened to an album but don't have, like, a deep familiarity with. Um, 
I, I think they're a band that that uh, a lot falls more into like an indie rock kind of category. I think a lot of, I think they're a little more critically acclaimed in some ways uh, than some other bands, unless I'm confusing them with another band. But yeah, that could be another kind of deep dive for me too. Uh, it's hard for me because like at my headspace right now, typically doesn't gravitate towards uh four piece rock bands with two guitars bass and drums uh mostly because that you know a lot of my life that's what i listen to so if i'm listening to something new oftentimes i'm trying to listen to things that are decidedly not that i'm actually in the same it's kind of the same boat right now i've been really just discovering elena del rey and she scares the hell out of me and i like it (laughs) <laughs> and I really, I, I, I don't know, maybe this falls more in like Sunny Day, but like in terms of hits, I really like Post Malone. Uh-huh, <laughs> okay. My sure. daughter loves the song Circles, so I have listened to that about a billion times. And I'm like, oh, he's cool. And I love Spider-Verse, like obsessively. And then um, I watched him do a fucking Nirvana tribute set with Travis Barker on YouTube. So I'm like, and then all of a sudden I started listening to like Machine Gun Kelly, but... um. And then I watched this, uh, the Mandalorian, the Galleria, with the um, the composer Ludwig, whatever, Grun Hansen. Yeah, led me he's to great. It. He, oh he's my really God. great. It kind of. I have a huge gap for like music. Like now they're saying like the what I've seen a lot of like I've been watching a lot of YouTube video music essays, but like music has become genreless. It's Ludwig Göransson. Yeah, he's done like childish he's done, Like he did. He did like uh, he's done all of um, all the Marvel. What's his name's movies? Uh, Coogler. Not all of them. No. Yeah, he's done all of Ryan Coogler's movies. He did Black Panther and they were and, and Creed. And, yeah, but yeah, he did all the stuff for Mandalorian, uh, and that's one of my favorite parts about the show. Actually, is his soundtrack. I mean, uh, and well, that episode yeah. uh, was, was really crazy. cool to watch to see. Yeah. It made me. It led me on a rabbit hole of him. And then I didn't know he'd made Childish Gambino, but there's just, like, these fun, like, videos, like, making of. And that dude, the way he just talks, like, I get the sense that he sees music, like, just listening to him talk. But, like, it, I like I, I love Donald Glover, but I've never been a big Childish Gambino fan. I've just never given it at the time. So I was, like, watching the making of Redbone. And it just, Ludwig, like, looked at music in this weird way. It's like, oh, but he's, like, because of, you know, technology or whatever... He just takes so many... I, I don't understand how he does it. So I was, like, getting really into that. But, like, same thing. I, like, I started liking more... I guess, I guess as I guess I say it, like, with the postmodern and the music, I guess I've been getting a little more ear candy. And also Electric Light Orchestra. But, like, a little more ear candy kind of music. <laughs> I never listened to them, but fuck, are they great. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, lo- I yeah. love Yellow. Yeah. And Ska. I love Ska. I mean, well, <laughs> that Streetlight Manifesto is usually in my rotation. Well, yeah, and I think he, I think you had mentioned Streetlight Manifesto as a topic for the show, and I honestly was really—they were uh, so good. I'll be honest; I was just like, I'm not sure if I want to cover this because I don't want to break your heart if I don't like it. Uh, yeah, because I've I've heard a few songs, and I'm just like, I don't know if this is for me. Totally get uh, it. And I, they're they're a tough. And one. I wanted to try and I wanted to try and do something pretty positive. Okay, I think uh, I did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. The world turned. It was fun. It was fun to revisit this, and again, like the first time I had, I had really listened to this. I was pretty young, and hearing it with like over twenty years, well, probably twenty years perspective, is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so on our show, uh, we make recommendations based off of the, whatever we're talking about. So if someone were a sunny day real estate fan, where would you tell them to go next? Musically speaking, if you um, to stay my style of music, I feel like the Ghetto Kids are really uh, Ghetto Kids on Thursday might be a perfect mix. Start with um, start with Four Minute Mile. That might be your best way. That would be really that would probably be your best bet if you're like trying to stay within that sound. And I, I think the Ghetto Kids can really open you up to this wonderful, at least for me, a world of uh, that era of music. And you know, if you don't even want to be someone who goes like all the way back to that level of emo, like. I don't know what wave we're in emo. I think it's like now like fourth wave, but like, yeah, like like most things. Um, just because I stopped listening to it doesn't mean it stopped. But like the newer wave of music is now influenced by my like now the Get Up Kids are now the Sunny Day Real Estate 
of, of it. So um, like I like Joyce Manor's really great. I like the Menzingers, uh, the Front Bottoms. So it's it's a lot of that stuff that I was a fan of is now with a more popular emo. I think that would be a good place to go. Um, so I'm gonna recommend this band from '95. Like uh, was also from the '90s, and their album, this album in particular, is from '95. This band's called Hum. Uh, uh, and they put out this record in 95 called You'd Prefer an Astronaut. Uh, and it's along the lines of, it's kind of like Sunny Day in some ways, but it's a little more aggressive and it's a little more shoegazery. So it's, the guitars are thicker um, and it, it's an easy, it, it's almost like aggressive. Uh, it's easy to get lost in. Um, kind of like maybe a little more melodic My Bloody Valentine. Mm. Uh, and I love that kind of, noisy good uh like wall of guitar kind of thing they just put out a new record which i hear is pretty good so i'm excited to listen to it but this this record uh you'd prefer an astronaut is pretty terrific so you should check that out i think you'd like it yeah, i'm gonna check that out. i like that i just that album title name just grabbed me i love it already why don't you tell our listeners where they could find you uh, so we have a website let's chat podcast.net and then we're on itunes google play spotify radio public Stitcher, anywhere you find uh, SoundCloud, anywhere you find podcasts, it's at Let's Chat Podcast on all the things, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, you know, stop by and say hello. I really recommend your show. I think it's just, like I said, it's really, um, you're very affable and easy to talk to, and you're you're enthusiastic about a a lot of things, and I think that shows um, on your uh, podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. uh, It's hard getting compliments. (laughs) I'm sure you know that too. You're like, <laughs> we'll have to have you back uh, once uh, Tony's back in the saddle. Oh, vice uh, we'll pick something out. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And thanks as always to the What's Your Writers Club in downtown Providence for hosting us. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at What's Your Club, and you can get more information about what they do on their website at whatsyourclub.org.